Welcome to this week's Wireless Noodle. This week I want to mostly delve into a particular aspect of IoT related to cellular connected devices and that's the concept of constrained IoT. There's also a bit from me about the fate of Sigfox which is a good example of a constrained technology if ever there was one as well as a look at some other news that's been making the headlines and a dive into eSIM and iSIM. My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. Constrained IoT. A few weeks ago, I spoke about an article I wrote in IoT Now, which is well worth a read. I will put a link on the Wireless Noodle site. I thought I'd run through some of the highlights of that for you, dear listeners. Increasingly, IoT is focused on addressing lots of devices in increasingly inhospitable environments. It does this by slimming down the features and functionality of the offering to make it more appropriate. Last year, we at Transformer Insights published a report on what we term the thin IoT stack. It looked at a set of technologies across the IoT stack that are specifically aimed at dealing with the constraints of power, location, space, processing, and several other factors. Across each of five layers of the IoT stack, device hardware, device software, networking, middleware, and edge computing and machine learning, there are optimum technologies, including the likes of system on chip, chip on board, embedded operating systems like TinyOS and Riot, networking technologies such as MQTT and CoAP, LPWA technologies, thin middleware, and data processing techniques like TinyML. All of these elements of the IoT stack that are now optimized for IoT are potentially very useful for IoT deployments and will provide a boost to adoption. If you're interested in the thin IoT concept more broadly, I recommend checking out a blog post that I wrote recently. Uh, you can find that on the transforminsights.com website, but I'll put a link on wirelessnoodle.com. Wide area connectivity for IoT is increasingly defined by the arrival of technologies to overcome constraints, particularly battery life. The whole reason for the development of the low power wide area LPWA technologies a decade ago or so was to operate where there are constraints on the availability of power. According to our IoT forecast here at Transformer Insights, those LPWA technologies, both the licensed MBIoT and LTEM and the unlicensed such as LoRaWAN, will account for 64% all new public network connections in 2030. There's also a lot of hype today about the potential for low Earth orbit satellites to address IoT, and that's something I spoke about in episode 25. That's not to say this is all about wide area networking either. Local area networking is also getting in on the act. Wi-Fi has historically dominated that space, at least for indoor consumer connectivity. But we expect thread off the back of the standardization of the matter smart home interoperability protocol to be increasingly widely adopted. So be aware of this if you're not already working with thread or matter. You should be. The constraints for low bandwidth, low power devices will also dictate the choice of protocols used. At the transport layer, most deployments will choose between IP protocols, the TCP, Transmission Control Protocol, and the User Datagram Protocol, UDP. Now, TCP is connection-oriented, i.e. it will need to establish two-way communications with the receiver, deliver data packets in the correct order, and resend any lost packets. In contrast, UDP is connectionless, 
meaning that it will send data packets without consideration of whether the recipient is ready and won't seek acknowledgement or um, retransmit lost packets. The result is that UDP is a lighter protocol and therefore far preferred for constrained IoT. There are further implications of that for the associated messaging protocols, MQTT and CoAP. Both were designed to make efficient use of network resources, but CoAP is inherently more appropriate for constrained environments being based on UDP. MQTT is more secure and provides more of a guarantee on delivery, but it is chattier. Also closely related to protocol selection is security. The aforementioned CoAP UDP has a more limited set of security capabilities than TCP-based deployments. It's not inherently insecure, though. For instance, most IoT security issues relate really to the hardware or the application rather than the networking. Nevertheless, it's a little less secure. This creates challenges for delivering to the cloud and particularly drives a need for cloud connectors, which is something that I'm going to be talking about in a few weeks' time. But the short version is that AWS and Microsoft Azure will not accept DTLS-based security, i.e. the kind of security supported by UDP. This means constrained IoT devices, i.e. the majority of IoT devices, need some kind of proxying and protocol conversion for them to be delivered to the cloud. The solution is a cloud connector, where data is delivered to a network element which handles protocol conversion and encryption to then deliver to the cloud. A number of communication service providers like Emnify, Telefonica and Verizon have this kind of functionality. Ericsson also has it as part of its IoT accelerator. There are several other areas where there are also further implications, including device management, which I'll talk about in a few weeks in the context of lightweight M2M, and edge computing, but they'll have to wait. I will, however, mention one final element, probably the most critical, and that's the application. Here, there is an overwhelming need to adapt the application to suit the constraints in which it is being deployed. Highly chatty applications will cause havoc for low power devices, or where the devices can only send a few messages a day. The overarching trend, and one that we'll come back to again and again, is that there is an increasing requirement for the constituent elements of the application to be optimised with each other. This includes hardware, connectivity, protocols, device management, data processing, networking, and the actual application itself. Many technology vendors increasingly get that. Take, for instance, the offering from Wirepass, which optimizes across connectivity and hardware, or like Deutsche Telekom's IoT solution Optimizer, or the recent announcement from SI for its Infinity solution, which includes a connectivity optimization capability, or the recent announcement of Semtex acquisition of Sierra Wireless. More on this in a bit. Top priority for anyone building an IoT application is to ensure that all these elements are optimized to work with each other. Easier said than done, of course, but there's a clear future path towards much greater requirement for the supply of these aspects to be done in a coordinated way. If you want to know more about this, check out the article where I go into a bit more detail on a few areas. Time for some hot M&A news for you in the world of IoT. As mentioned earlier, the big news in the last few weeks was that Semtech acquired Sierra Wireless and also, incidentally, within a few days of each other, Telet merged with Talis IoT hardware business. So, bit of background on the Telet and Talis deal. Uh, that happened at the end of July. Uh, they announced they were combining the assets of Telet with those of the Talis IoT hardware business into an organisation now called Telet Sinterion. Uh, that was followed on the 2nd of August by the news that Semtech Corporation would acquire Sierra Wireless. Now, these announcements 
affect, interestingly, all three of the triumvirate of cellular IoT hardware makers that dominated the global market as little as a decade ago. Going back 10 years, collectively, Centaria and Sierra Wireless and Telets accounted for the majority of IoT cellular hardware shipments. But since then, competition has beaten and they now find themselves as minority players. And the requirement to gain scale in the face of particularly Chinese competitors goes a long way to explain why each would want to gain greater scale. But the two deals demonstrate a rather different approach. Telitzinterian is a straightforward merger of very like companies. The Semtex Sierra deal has more complexity given Semtex's position as the leading player in the LoRaWAN ecosystem. We think that the Semtex Sierra wireless acquisition will have far greater impact. It creates a vendor with a broad and complementary set of capabilities, whereas Telitzinterian is simply a scale game, albeit important for the future of Telit. However, to really benefit from the combined assets, Semtech will need to find a way of cross-optimizing the various IoT solution elements that it provides, rather than act simply as a one-stop shop. Now that obviously harks back to what I was talking about just some moments ago, about optimization across the various elements of the IoT solution. If Semtech and Sierra Wireless combined can do that in a more effective way, it's going to be good news. On the subject of recent acquisitions, Actually, in fact, not even that recent. But back in April, to end a long-running saga, including a bidding process, Sigfox was acquired by one of its Sigfox network operators, Unibiz, which operates in Taiwan and Singapore. Then, as of July this year, Unibiz announced that Sigfox will continue as a technology, which it was best at, and not as a company. And the less said about that, the better. I still think there's room in the market for this kind of very low bandwidth, very high latency technology, although many would disagree. There's plenty of use cases that will be fine with exactly the kind of capabilities it delivers if it can do it in an affordable way and in a reliable way. And by reliability, I mean that they're going to be around for the long term. That and the fact that LoRaWAN has been pushing on in recent years. And last but not least, on the 16th of August, it emerged that Google Cloud IoT Core is being retired as of August 16th, 2023. It's what I've described as the most Google of moves. Uh, This is exactly what I was talking about in a blog post that I wrote about 18 months ago, which was titled, Does Google Cloud Have a Trust Issue? And I also talked about it on episode 18 of this podcast. How can you trust a company that retires products that become inconvenient to run? Not good news for Google. Finally, I want to talk about eSIM and iSIM. It's something I've talked about a bit a few times on the podcast. And I think it's worth going over a little bit more again. Over the years, the SIM card itself has shrunk in size and eventually become a piece of embedded hardware in the form of the eSIM as of 2016. And since then, it's become an integrated SIM, uh, which arrived in 2018, which saw the SIM functionality become software-based and implemented in a system-on-chip form factor. The embedded SIM provides a number of benefits in terms of being able to build IoT devices that are smaller and more robust and more secure. But the biggest implication comes from the fact that the SIM card is not removable. And as a result, it was necessary to develop the capability to change the SIM profile through a mechanism other than the physically swapping out of SIM cards. That mechanism is remote SIM provisioning, 
or RSP it's sometimes referred to as. Uh, this could be considered another additional benefit of embedded SIM, along with the security, size and ruggedness factors and so on. But it's not an exclusive feature of embedded SIMs. You can actually implement remote management on plastic SIMs as well. But really, those two things go hand in hand, the, the RSP with the, with the embedded SIM. Now, uh, RSP was specified by the GSM Association in 2014, initially for machine-to-machine -machine devices, and then in 2016 for consumer devices. And it consists predominantly of the management of IMSIs, the International Mobile Subscriber Identities on the device, i.e. adding, selecting or deleting IMSIs as appropriate to connect to the correct network. I don't plan on going into the specifics of how the RSP provisioning works, other than to note that the consumer pull variant worked a lot better than the M2M push variant, but the lessons have been learned and there's a sort of hybrid IoT version imminent, so some of the bumps have been ironed out. The availability of this capability has a bunch of commercial implications. Regulatory compliance is a lot easier as you can avoid being clobbered for permanent roaming infringements. I talked about permanent roaming on a previous episode. Supply chains are more efficient because there's no need to ship a SIM. Uh, it offers insurance against network switch off. And theoretically, it allows the customer more ability to negotiate with connectivity providers. I say theoretically because really almost no one has used it in anger. Today, it's used as a way to localise connectivity and as an insurance policy. That's how we see it. We don't really see it being used in anger to move hundreds of thousands, millions of SIMs from one provider to another provider. And that's backed up really by the fact that a lot of these providers of the services, mostly the old SIM vendors, seem to be pivoting to selling based on a flat fee license for this functionality rather than a per switch charging, which they might have previously been anticipating. That much more reflects an insurance policy than it does something that's going to be actively used repeatedly. We're certainly not down on eSIM though. It can drive out a lot of cost in the lifetime of the device due to compliance, supply chain efficiency, low power and other factors. You may want to check out a white paper we wrote with Quectel for more details. And that specifically shows that 8 to 13% of the lifetime connectivity spend on uh, an IoT device can be removed by the use of eSIM. I'll put a link on the website. Just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be obliged if you could leave a review. It's much appreciated. Well, what else do we have for you today? One request and one plug. Uh, the request relates to 2G and 3G switch off, as mentioned a couple of episodes ago. The request is to hear from anyone who's been through a 2G or indeed 3G, although that's less likely, switch off process themselves. We want to hear about experiences from real world customers. So if you know of anyone who's been through one or you are someone who has, I'd love to speak to you. This can be completely anonymous and we're happy to share results of the findings and research and so on. And another plug. We have a stack of webinars coming up. We announced our 2022-23 series of webinars a few months ago. The first of those is coming up on the 26th of September, looking at 5G and mobile private networks, aka private wireless. In November, we're looking at how digital transformation can save the planet. That's all tied up with the clean dozen work I spoke about in an earlier episode. In January, we'll provide a summary of our work from our annual CSP IoT peer benchmarking report, which is due out in Q4. In March, we'll delve into the opportunity associated with applied AI. And in May next year, 
we'll share our IoT forecasts. Next week, I'll be talking about the fun task of forecasting the AI market, a bit about a new network technology called 5G RedCap, and we'll take a walk through smart metering of all stripes, electricity, gas and water. I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A.